what were the days of Yaakov, the years of his life, they were Sheva Shanim, seven years, Varboim Um As Shano, and 140 years. So the first part of the Pasuk talks about how many years he lived in Egypt. The next part of the Pasuk talks about how was his, his total life. Now, just to uh, go back last week's portion, over there when Yaakov comes to Egypt and Yosef brings Yaakov to meet Pharaoh. So the verse says over there, so Yosef, Yosef as Yaakov, so Yosef brings his father Yaakov, and he stands him up before Paro. He brings him to Paro. And Yaakov blesses Paro. And then Paro says to him, How old are you? He asks him, Paro asks uh, Yaakov how old he is. And Yaakov responds, he says, the days of the years that I've been sojourning, basically, never had peace, were 30 and 100 years. So he basically tells them that he was 130 years old. And he adds, they were few and bad, and they were not as uh, reached the, the, the life of my father. But, so here the obvious question is, we already know before we start this week's portion, we already know how old Yaakov was in that, in that period of time. He said it to, uh, Yaakov said it to Paro, he's 130 years old. So we know how old Yaakov is, that he's 130. So now, either the Torah could have said that Yaakov's total life was 147, so then one can deduce that he lived 17 years in Egypt because that's when he came to Egypt. And we know he came there in 113. The math is very simple. 113 plus 17 is 147. So the Torah did not have to single out that he lived in Mitzrayim for 17 years. If the Torah had just said that he lived totally, his life was... 147, and we know that up till he came to Egypt, it was 130. We know that he lived in Egypt 17 years. In the other way around, we can also ask, we know that he was 130, and if the verse tells you that he lived there for 17 years, so why does the verse have to tell you the total 147? Again, 130 and 17 is 147. So we don't need both to tell you he lived there for 17 years, and then that his total life was one. 147. So the commentaries explain what we're trying to say over here is Yaakov had a unique life in Egypt, which by the way, the word 17, if you use the gematria, the numerical value in the letters, spells out the word tov. Tet vav vet. Tet vav vet equals 17. Basically, it singled out the 17 years, they were tov, they were good. Because if you look back at the Chumash, in the history of Yaakov, we see that he had a life full of challenges, a life full of uh, 
difficulties, if you want. Even in his mother's womb already, we read that he was struggling with Esau. You know, Esau, it says, The children in the mother's womb were sort of struggling already. And then we know how Esau hated Yaakov. Uh, and we know how Esau later wanted to kill Yaakov. We know that Esau had to leave his home out of fear of Esau. We know that Yaakov met up with his not-so-kind uncle Lavan, his mother's brother, who treated him very badly. And um, he spent 20 years there, and he made him work hard. He changed his agreement with him all the time, so that was a hard time for him. And, and then finally, when he leaves him, he has to encounter his brother Esau with the 400 men. And they were coming to fight him as well. And then, after all this is over, and finally Yaakov sits in the land of Canaan, it says that the brothers got together and they sold Yosef. So now he's mourning for Yosef for all these years. For 22 years, he's mourning for Yosef. So basically, Yaakov's life was filled, was pretty miserable, in a pretty miserable life. And yet, the verse comes here and says, well, I want you to know that the 17 years, the best years of his life was those years that he lived in Egypt. I mean, it's, a, it's, 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 it's kind of surprising. I mean, of all places in Egypt, that was the best life. One expects being next to his father in the land of Canaan. One would think in a holy place, eventually going to become Eretz Yisrael. But here, the land of Egypt, the land of Egypt was always known as being a place where promiscuity wasn't a, uh, a very uh, nice and uh, uh, good place. And yet, you see, the best year that Yaakov lived was in the land of Egypt. And there's, uh, the Rebbe once explained that you know, it says that before he came to Egypt, he created a, uh, a pace of learning, established a Torah institution. He sent Yehuda Sholach Lefonov Lahiris. He sent them to. The Rebbe says that when you establish a place of Torah, even if you find yourself in exile, even if you find yourself in difficult uh, places, you can still live. Not only can you live, but these are the best years of your life. You know, sometimes they say, you can exist. You don't live, you just exist. You're just, you know, you're here, so you're just existing. Sometimes you can live. Vaychi. Vaychi means to live. Meaning you're living it fully, you're enjoying it, you're, you're part of it. It's, and that's in, in the land of Egypt, despite the fact. The commentators explain, that's why it says later on, all Yaakov's years were 147 years to tell you that those 17 years were so good that sort of made up for all of his suffering, for all of his difficult years. So the May Yaakov Shnei Chayev Sheva Shonim, all of his years, 147, as if they were all good. The goodness was so good. He was so happy and he was so much nachas. He was so much 
uh, life over there, that it's sort of made, so the Torah sort of says, well, he lived there for 17 years, yes, but not only did he lived 17 years, all of Yaakov's life, the years was 147, it's sort of made up, all of his life were equally good now that he had the last 17 good years. I mean, it's quite, quite striking for everything to change around for Yaakov. Now, the entire Parsha actually talks about Parsha talks about what? Talks about uh, almost Yaakov's passing. What do we find? The first thing after the first thing is Yaakov, as we'll talk in the next uh, the, the talk a little bit. Yaakov was very old, and he calls Yosef. He says to Yosef, "I want you to swear to me. I don't want you to bury me in." Egypt. I want you to take me to the cave of the Machpelah. I want you to bury me over there. So that's the first thing that he tells him. And he makes him swear that he's going to do that. After that he goes ahead and he blesses the two children of Yosef, Manasseh and Ephraim. He puts his hand in the uh, other way. We'll discuss this a little bit later. And then from there on, Yaakov goes and tries to give a blessing to his sons, and he blesses them, all of his sons. Then we read about the burial, and about how they came back, and the brothers were worried that Yosef may retaliate after the father's passing, maybe he'll retaliate for what they did to him, they sold him, and they caused them all, you know, don't forget that Yosef himself was in, in jail for many years, and he was a, a slave in the house of Petifar, so they were worried, and then finally we read at the end of the parsha until Yosef passing that we read at the end of the parsha. But as far as Yaakov goes, most of the parsha does not really discuss anything about what took place in the 17 years. Yes, the first sentence of the parsha is Vayichi Yaakov Shva Esrei He left 17 years. So that's the first sentence of the parsha. But after that, it doesn't discuss anything about the 17 years. Actually, the Torah says Yaakov's final years were 147, and he starts talking about what happened on the 147th year, the day, year before he died. That's the whole discussion. So, one wonders, it seems like maybe the verse should have been written differently. Take a look at the last verse of previous Parsha. Verse of Zion. This is in Vayigash, the end, the last one. It says, Israel lived in the land of Mitzrayim, in the land of Goshen, and they took hold. They were fruitful. They increased a lot. Now, I'm suggesting, I mean, I'm suggesting, the question is, why doesn't it say over there, and Yaakov lived in the land of Egypt 17 years? That's the end of the subject. That is, should be the end of the portion of Vayigash. Our Parsha Vayichi should start with Yaakov's life wore seven years and 40 and 140 years and tell you what happened at the end of the years. It almost seems like that's a follow-up to what said before, that the Jews lived in Goshen, and that's where Yaakov lived for 17 years. Stop. Then our parsha should begin by he yimei Yaakov shnei chayev sheva shonim arboi ma'ashonah that it was 147 years. 
almost seems like it's split wrongly. I mean, that because the 17 years describes what is the discussion of the previous parsha. Our parsha discusses what happens at the end of Yaakov's life and after Yaakov's life, not what took place in the 17 years. The 17 best years of Yaakov should be before, it would seem, where the Torah discusses how beautifully and how the Jews lived in the land of Goshen, that it was so nice over there, and, and Yaakov lived there for 17 years. Why does our parsha begins with Vayichi Yaakov, that Yaakov lived 17 years? So, the Rebbe brings out the point that is brought out many times, we brought it out in the portion of Chai Yisora as well, that true life does not stop with the person's passing. Uh, stop, life does not stop with the person's passing because uh, we're talking about true life. True life means something which is true Something which is true can sustain various different levels. You know, sometimes if you have a real, just give my example for it, if you have a true love for the other person, okay? If you have a true love for your spouse, say. So then, notwithstanding the difficult times that you may have in the middle but it's a lasting, because that means that the love is genuine to the extent that even if you come across hard times or you come across some difficulties, but you can outlive that because truth does not cease. True love and true anything does not stop. It keeps on. It's there all the time. If a love is only temporarily, if it's only meets in certain condition then it's a love which is hinged on, on some things. And if the things is, as the Mishnah says, if it's a love which is connected to something, then if that something is no longer there, so then there's no longer a love because that's connected to something. Same thing is with everything. But life also. What is real life? When a person is really alive, the life doesn't stop after the person passes. Life continues. It doesn't stop. Another halachic example it is like this. You know, there's the Torah talks about the red heifer. So the red heifer requires that you have to get water from a well, living water. So there was a uh, law in the Mishnah brought down that what happens if you have these wells, but they dry up once in seven years. Currently, when you want to use the water, there's a full river there. The Talmud, the, the Mishnah rules that you can't use those waters. Why? Even though now there's water there. It's, there's water from a, from a, from a well. It, it, there's a flow there. But it's not called living. It's not really living. Torah requires Mayim Chaim. Real water doesn't stop. If the fact that once in seven years it dries out, that tells us that it's not really living water. The Gemara says that God's name, God's seal, is Emes. What does Emes mean? Truth. Do you ever notice that in the the Hebrew alphabet, the Aleph is the very first letter of the alphabet, 
The Tav is the very last letter of the alphabet, of the word Emes. Now guess, what is the Mem? Middle. Mem is the exact middle letter of the alphabet. So, Emet, truth, means that it goes from the beginning through the middle to the end. It means truth goes through, that's why it's the seal of Hashem. And that's why we say, the verse says, Hashem Elohim Emet, Hashem Elohim Chayim. Hashem Elohim is true, and that is why Hashem Elohim is life. Because real life is true life, and it's something which goes through. It is there in all situations. It goes through from the beginning and then. It's consistent. It goes through. I always used to admire, you know, in the students in the yeshiva and in other areas, where I see people consistent, you know, they're doing their thing, you know, they're always there and they're always on time and they're always doing, you know, they're like, go through, they're constant. They're not, sometimes yes, sometimes no, they don't wave that truth. That's a tremendous uh, uh, level of being able to be consistently and doing what you need to do. So, true life is when it's consistent, when it's also. Okay? That's why we also say, Atem hadvekim b'ashem lokechem chaim chulchem hayom. That when we connect to Hashem, we are alive. Because we can't really be alive, because we're here only temporarily, but the only way to really be alive is to connect to God. If we're connected to Hashem, to the Torah, to the mitzvahs, and we connect to Hashem. So just like Hashem is eternal, so we're eternal too. So our connection to Hashem makes us alive. Our connection to Hashem makes us alive. So getting back to uh, Yaakov. So Yaakov is Vayichi. Okay? Yaakov lived. How did Yaakov live? How do we know that Yaakov lived? So, the way we knew that Yaakov lived is because while he was in Egypt, it was already close to his passing, and grandchildren were raised in Egypt. That proved and that was proof that Yaakov is alive. Which means, by Yaakov, even though we just said that it's mostly talking about everything else that's going on, but the fact is, Yaakov had a hard life. And Yaakov never gave up his connection to Hashem. But the real proof is that when your grandchildren living in Egypt, which were the children of Yosef, Ephraim and Menashe, and they are still following in the footstep from Ephraim, that makes, that says to us that Yaakov is alive. So actually the Torah says, Yaakov, because we're going to tell you about Yaakov's life. Yaakov's life continues, continues to live to his children. You know, very interesting is, and this is quoted in the Talmud, it says Yaakov, at the end, in the parsha, it says, Yaakov expired. Vayigva. 
he expired. It doesn't say he died. So the Gemara says, Rashi actually brings it down in the Chumash as well. Yaakov didn't die. So the Gemara says, hey, wait a minute. What do you mean Yaakov didn't die? But we read that they uh, embalmed him. We read that they eulogized him. We read that he buried him. What do you mean he didn't die? If he, if he was buried, he must have died. How could it be? How could you say he didn't die? And the Gemara gives an interesting answer. The Gemara says, Mazaroi Bachaim Avhu Bachaim. If his seed is alive, then he is alive as well. Which means that death is not the cessation of life necessarily. That means that if the children, the grandchildren, if they continue the legacy, so then Yaakov is alive. In this case, Manasseh and Ephraim, they are the ones that continued Yaakov's legacy because Yaakov saw, notwithstanding, living in Egypt, living in their... uh, in a place where there is not uh, not openly, you don't see Hashem, you don't see godliness, and still they were able to uh, hold on. That's a simon, that's a sign that Yaakov is alive, that's Vayichi Yaakov. In matter of fact, that you see that it was precisely in, as we mentioned, in Mitzrayim, where Yaakov really was alive then because that told him without any doubt that his life will continue. So if Yaakov you know, would not have seen, not come and met up with Yosef, he would not see his grandchildren, he would not be part of their life. So then, you know, maybe Yaakov died and maybe uh, we would not have that continuous Zari Bechaim that his seed is alive. But it's Tafka specifically through that that we can see his life. I once explained also, which is not, not in the Sikha, but it's interesting that after they came back after the burial, so even though the Pasuk doesn't say Yaakov died, it says he's expired to tell us the idea, but when the kids, when the sons came back from the funeral, over there it says that they said to Yosef, Ovinu Meis, our father died. Over there he actually says, when, it, when the Torah describes his passing, it says he's expired. It doesn't say he died. But when the son's coming back after the funeral, they're saying, our father died. And what were they saying? They were trying to tell Yosef, oh, now that father is died, now you're going to, sort of pay back to us, you're going to take revenge, you're going to retaliate for all the difficulties that we caused you. So that's what they were uh, for, worried. So they already used the words of Inu Meis, thy father died, which means they were basically saying, if he's dead, if he's gone. In other words, our behavior, if we will hate each other, and we will no longer care about each other, that means that our parents are, are gone. I mean, I know a lot of families, <laughs> I don't want to say most families, you know, while the parents are alive, the siblings get along, and sometimes 
<laughs> sometimes yes, sometimes no. But after the death, then it becomes, you know, many times people are fighting over inheritance. Many times they're just becoming estranged from each other. Uh, I'm not saying that it should be. I'm not saying it's everybody, but I'm saying you hear in a lot of cases that happens. But what happens? That means that the parents died because the proof for that is that really died. Why? Because while they were alive, you know, like even Esau, we see in the Parsha, he says, well, while my parents, my father's alive, I'm not going to do anything. He didn't want to do anything. He didn't want to hurt his brother because he didn't want to uh, cause his father any, any, any grief. So Esau wasn't going to do anything to Yaakov during his lifetime. So during the lifetime of the parents, you know, these siblings somehow get along. But if Yaakov says, Yosef says to his brother, no, 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 no. They were afraid that the father died and therefore now Yosef is going to retaliate for all the things they did to him. But he was crying, Yosef. Yosef says, no, 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 my father didn't die. You didn't send me here. Hashem sent me here as he kept on telling them. So that means, no, no, his uh, spirit is still alive with us. And therefore, just like during his lifetime, we wouldn't do anything bad, we're not going to do it now too. And, you know, we always have to remind ourselves in every situation, you know, in, in, in the various different groups, you know, you see, even by Hasidim, even by Chabad, for example, there were like two fractions after the passing of the Rebbe. One group believed more Mashiach, or was a less Mashiach. It was various different. But it all stems from the fact that we lost a little bit of the Rebbe's presence. But if you hold the Rebbe's Baruch Hashem, it's been, it's come down, tamed down, and uh, and sometimes you look around in the news by what happens in other Hasidic courts, you know, the different fights that are going on everywhere. It's like, uh, uh, you know, sad, you know, it's, it's sad that it goes on amongst, you know, Jewish people and, and religious people. But it's it's a certain reality. But I'm saying, always have to remember that you have to think and behave like your father is alive, that the Rebbe is alive, like people, and you have to do things the way you would do it during a lifetime. You don't have to, you shouldn't change around. That is evidence, and that proves, proves that your father is still alive. Okay, so that's the thought from the first uh, thought. Then the next thing we'll do is we will do from the second Sicha, a little bit from the second Sicha. So, over here, you know, we read the story I mentioned before that Yaakov is asking his father, uh, Yosef is asking his father to bless his two sons. Okay. So it says, Yosef takes Vayikach Yosef as Shneim. So Yosef takes them both. He puts as Ephraim b'iminoi. He puts his Ephraim in his right hand. Now, when you're when you're facing the other person, your right hand becomes his father's left hand. And your left hand becomes your father's right hand. Your father's the mirror from mirrors you. So he puts Ephraim in his right hand, which would be Mismoil Yisrael, which was Israel's left hand. That's Menashe Bismoila, and he put Menashe, his left hand. To the right of Israel. He brought him to him. Now, blessing 
both hands of a tzaddik could do a blessing, but the right hand has more power to it. But in this case, you know, you can bring them separately, you can bring them one by one, you can put both hands on one, but in this case, he brought them because he specifically, Yosef's intention was that Yaakov should put his right hand on the older one, on Menashe. That's why he put him on his left hand. And he wanted Yaakov to put his left hand on the younger one. And that's why he put Menashe on his right hand. But Israel, which is Yaakov, he went and he crisscrossed his hands. And he put his right hand on the head of Ephraim, even though he's the younger one. And he put the left hand on the head of Menashe. So he actually did it wisely in order to put, I mean, if he wanted, he could have said, move. Uh, you move to this side, you move to that side. He didn't want to move anybody. He kept, But he did it wisely. He crisscrossed his hand. And he put his right hand on the younger one. And his left hand on the older one. Yosef was upset about that. He saw, it was Yari Yosef. Yosef saw that his father puts the right hand on the head of Ephraim. And he is was bad in his eyes. So he supported his father's hands to try to have him have move around his hands. And Yosef says to his father, no, that's not right, my father. This is the older one. Put your right hand on the older one. But his father refused. The father says, I know my son, I know. He's going to be great also. He's going to be for a nation. And he's going to be a, a, a good, great future. However, the younger brother is going to be greater than him. And he's going to be old in age. Well, it's a little bit perplexing. After all, Menashe was the, was the firstborn. Now there's a reason why God makes somebody a newborn first. A newborn, we know, gets double in the inheritance. He has twice the power. So, if Ephraim is so great and Menashe is not worthy enough, so how come Hashem made it in such a way that Menashe should be the older one? Hashem should have made it that Ephraim should be the older one. Also, it's not uh, likely, it's not so convenient to say, well, Yosef made a mistake, and Yaakov, there is something, there must be something over here. The Rebbe explains, actually, there are two greatnesses over here. They're both great people. And there's different perspectives. There's the perspective of Yosef. To Yosef, Menashe was the older son. He was the Bechor. From his perspective, he was the older one. And out of his perspective, he was actually his firstborn. But from Yaakov's perspective, Menashe, Ephraim was the older one. So how are we going to learn about what their perspective will look from their name? Okay, since Ephraim was a great one, why is he not born first? The two services expressed in the name of Menashe and Ephraim. I said before, Yosef had his children in Egypt. 
And to a certain extent, we can sort of run a parallel to us having our children in Egypt means, you know, having our children in Galut, in exile. You know, we're also in Egypt. And uh, Rabbi talks a lot about, we're going to read the next Parsha, that we were enslaved in Egypt. He says you got to throw the firstborn into the Nile River. That's not the firstborn, all the males into the Nile River. And Rebbe says the Nile River was the idol worship of the Egyptians. And through the, throw them into the river means, you know, accept the idols of the culture of Egypt. Basically, we live in a, a land, we live fortunately in the greatest country, and the Jewish people have experienced the greatest freedom that they've ever experienced. But yet there is a culture, there's an American culture. We live in America, and inevitably, the ideas, the ideals, the, the successes, the uh, what's important in life, we pick up. We pick up from our society. We don't have the uh, the purity of the way it used to be when we lived in our uh, when we lived in the shtetl. We lived in a place where there was a lot of Yiddishkeit. And slowly but surely the culture creeps in and we begin thinking. And our minds are also uh, saying, you know, this is the way, that's important, that's what life is all about. And, uh, and the real thing is important, which is in life, to be connected to Hashem as the main, that takes second place. Jobs, money, vacation, good times, Pleasure, these are the things that we need to worry about. Okay, we find a little time to, to maybe daven, say a bracha, learn a little Torah class, but uh, that's not the primary, <laughs> that's not the primary interest. That's, not the, that's the culture of Mitzrayim, that's the culture of America, that's the culture of the free world, you know, you gotta, you gotta make it, you gotta be, gives you power, money gives you power, gives you... Uh, Ability allows you for a lot of things. But in any event, we can learn from Manasseh and Ephraim. They were grazed in, in, in Egypt. And still they stayed firm. We can learn from the name. The name Manasseh and the name Ephraim. These are two types of ways to survive the exile. One is Manasseh and the other one is Ephraim. Manasseh means, as the Pesach says, that you've made me forget my father's home. That represents the idea that when you're in a difficult situation, you're always challenged. You're forgetting who you are. You're forgetting your real home is. You have to constantly remind yourself. You have to constantly work on saying, oh, you know what? I am not the same like my neighbors around me. I am Jewish. I have a responsibility. I have a special mission in this world. I have obligations. I have to be a light unto the nations. That's something that you have to always remember. So how do you fight how do you sustain yourself in this 
tough environment in which things are pulling at you and dragging you and trying to pull you down, how do you sustain yourself? You sustain yourself by constantly remembering your father's home. You know, it says with regard to Yosef, when the wife of Potiphar was trying to entice him, and, uh, and he was about ready to almost failed. So it says that the image of his father came to him. And that image, sort of remembering his father, remembering who he is, that helped him overcome that, uh, that failure that he was about to fail. Um, said about, sometimes about a great chassid who used to, because of business, he had to be in the big city. And over there he encountered various different kinds of temptations. And he said the way he is, he remembered the Rebbe, remembered that he's a chassid. And he said, you know, for me, it is unbefitting for me to be in that level. So, remembering and staying connected that way is a means, is a tool of overcoming some of the drag on you in your new environment. Rabbi? Yes? I don't, I don't think I understand what Menashe is saying, you made me forget my father's home. No, because, because Menashe always says, what 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 he said in the pasuk is that Hashem has helped me that you make me forget my father's home, which means I don't want to forget. It. Forget my father's home means that he didn't have the tzuras anymore. That he's already because he came to Mitzrayim when Yosef came to Mitzrayim. So he said that's why he called him. So Hashem has basically, uh, you know, he had all the sufferings before he was there, and now. He's no longer suffering. But the Rebbe learns that that means that what he was always remembering himself, don't forget your father, because, you know, here I'm in a situation where I'm forgetting. So this is always a reminder saying to you, oh, you're forgetting, you're forgetting, you're forgetting, you know, forgetting where you come from. Don't forget. In other words, mm-hmm. even though Nashanim is forgetting, but it's always a reminder, remember always where you are from. Your father, you come from where you come from. Oh, because I'm about to forget, because living the comfortable life, you know, we as Jews, you know, we feel the opportunities, we live a good life here, nobody bothers us, we're almost forgetting, you know, we're forgetting who we are, so giving a name of forgetting reminds us not to forget, okay? Mm-hmm. And then what Ephraim means to increase, which basically means uh, that to take your place where you are. Not just not to forget. To stay. But not to forget means, okay, stay strong. Hifrani means to increase. Which really means, take these new challenges that you have, that come your way. Take these new circumstances. Take these new uh, facts of life that you are facing. And work with them. And turn them around. Increase them and turn them around. And make them also holy. Ephraim, make them holy. In other words, don't just stick and try to save yourself and say, okay, I'm remembering, I'm not forgetting, and I'm going to stay strong, but actually take your environment and take everything around you and change it around and make it into a place and reveal godliness. Bring Hashem into those places, into the places that increase. Ephraim, make increase. The awareness of Hashem. Don't just try to protect, not to forget, but make that place, turn it around, change it around. And, and that way, 
you will not only stay strong, but you'll actually bring about the uh, change in the environment as well. So, where do you start from? First, you have to start staying strong. You have to start with Manasseh. He comes the first one. You have to start with Manasseh, because if you don't remember who you are, and you don't understand the special responsibility, then you're not going to be able to do any work and change anybody else around if you're going to be caught up. So you first have to stay strong and remember. Then that's why Menashe is the Bechor, the first one. The first thing you got to do with Menashe. And then the ultimate goal is Ephraim, is to make a change in the world, not just to stay strong. So therefore, when you talk about Yaakov, who's going to get the blessing? The blessing is going to get Ephraim because Ephraim is the one that needs the blessing, needs to change and make a difference in the world, in the whole world. So while while uh, uh, Menashe, first you have to stay strong, but then comes Ephraim. If you want, you can say that this is also the motto of the Rebbe and Chabad and the Shuluchim and the idea that the Rebbe sent out, that in our Golos over here uh, where Many of the other uh, sects of Hasidim, other religious Jews, they were Menashe Jews because they wanted to stay strong. They wanted to stay strong and not get sucked up and not get uh, swallowed up by the uh, culture and about the from the society where they live in. So therefore they distanced themselves. So they became like Menashe. Always remember who I am and stay different. But the Rebbe's view was, you know, Ephraim, you know what, go into the culture and make impact, make a difference and help make change in the world to make it into a better place and to make it a place where you increase the awareness of God, not just hold back and keep yourself, increase that. And you see that at the end of the day, that is where the blessing is and that is where the way really to actually sustain is by actually increasing and that helps the people who are doing the work for them to stay strong as well. Mm-hmm. So this is the uh, class today for the uh, two sikhs. Anybody want to like to make a con? I'm keeping the class to about 45 minutes now because I have another class later on. I need a little break in between. Mm-hmm. So the class now is for about 45 minutes. I try to present the idea of the two classes in, in the this segment and... I give out most of it, so sometimes